Right. Uh, um, we started? Yeah, we started. Okay. Uh, right, I'm I'm Nick. Hi, I'm Harrison. And um, I guess... Uh, Welcome. To, we're in Paris right now. Yeah, we are in Paris city right of now. Light. The yeah. city of everything being closed and then nothing to be... Nothing to do with the police everywhere, and although in mid-May we'll be back on terraces, but I, I it's supposedly, it. yeah. basically, short story: everything's better in America and Britain than in France right now. Yeah, COVID-wise. I don't know about Britain, but you know I don't like the British. <laughs> well, you know I don't like the Americans. So, um, and I suppose I mean both of us. Both of us have been living in France for the same amount of time, about five years. So we moved here before Macron came to power. We've experienced the whole of Macron's presidency sort of firsthand. Yeah. Um, and for me personally, um, I mean, we, bo- we both study politics. You as a, as, a, as a freelance journalist and me in the context of, of my yeah. studies. Um, and, and I guess my link to France is that half my family is from here. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, obviously I sound British, I am British. Uh, but half my family being from here has meant that I've always had, I've always been forced to follow French politics, basically, my entire life. And now, obviously, as a sort of, now that I'm my own person, you know, <laughs> I, of course, have been following French politics closely for quite some time while also living here. And, and you, obviously, have been covering certain aspects of yeah, French yeah. politics. Um for about, I think we've both been here for about five years now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, since um, before Macron. And I guess yeah, what we what we want to do with this show is, um, I guess, we've both been sort of following French politics quite closely over the years, and obviously also sort of in corollary to that, following a lot of sort of the Anglo-American coverage of France. And while we definitely think there are a number of very talented writers and journalists and scholars that do provide really good reports and analyses on what's going on here. We think in general there's maybe a certain lack of coverage. coverage, And particularly a lack of coverage of sort of what is important about what's happening. Right, right. Sort of sense making or... or, Yeah, um, I mean, because... I mean, France is really at a pivotal moment in its history right, right, right now. Right. You know, there's people often talk about, and we'll mention it later on in the show, but this sort of Thatcher moment of French mm, history mm, kind of thing. Mm, um, mm. And yeah, like, like you said, we sort of noticed this lack of coverage and we thought that, you know, the presidential elections are in a year, right, you know. Right. And I think that there mm. needs to be a real taking stock of this this presidency right, right. and what it actually means and how people should, should see it. Because, right, right. you know... You know, Macron is still, to a certain extent, if a bit less than in the the, the, hey, the, the heyday of 2017, yeah. 2018. Sort of the golden boy yeah. of Atlantic third wave liberalism. Yeah, yeah, liberalism. yeah. The sort of savior of, right. of, of, of sensible politics, yeah, yeah. the hope of France kind right, of thing. Right, right. And, you know, mm-hmm. honestly, I mean, as I'm sure we will cover from various angles, that that's kind of I mean that's total bullshit and right. the guy is maybe the scariest president of France since god knows when you know the guy the guy scares me yeah <laughs> I mean I th- it's on the one hand it's it's you have to give credit sort of where credit is due in the sense that he is an extremely talented politician um of but course, a lot of, so sort of Tony Blair, a lot of you know? the sort of the trends and the 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 currents in French political life that he's tapping into now um 
are scary, yeah. And, and yeah. especially in a climate where the far right could potentially come into power in a year. Um, I mean, he's, he's establishing a number of worrying precedents, which maybe we're front-loading a lot. But um, Yeah, but I mean, in particular, you know, and I think this will probably resonate with British listeners, you know, we're in France very much going through a reactionary period at the moment where all these laws and all this discourse is being deployed to delegitimize those who, who, who question the government. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that's going on in Britain as well with the crime policing bill and with various other things. Um, so, yeah, I think that also what's important about this is that there is a reactionary conjuncture that's yeah. just beyond France by itself yeah. that is also taking place in France and taking this specific yeah. Yeah. form yeah. in France, yeah. which yeah. is important to sort of try and understand yeah and so, so i guess what we want to do is sort of take stock of where macronism is today yeah i mean so basically the way we sort of conceived of this episode was as a sort of general discussion on all the things you wanted to know about macronism but that the guardian never told you about you know <laughs> um so i guess for i guess the roadmap of what of this this episode we're going to first sort of run through a um, uh, brief uh, chronology of Macron's time in office, um, sort of the from the opening, sort of his opening assaults the on... the last four years, on, Yeah, the last four years, his first assaults on the French welfare state, the, I guess, revolt, for lack of a better word, um, during the Yellow Vests um, in late 2018 to the, the, um, to the movement against um, his pension reforms yeah. in 2019, up to sort of... Where we are today, which I think, yeah, as Nick, you just said, um, sort of the reactionary phase or how Macron is trying to divide opposition and essentially retain his hold on on the public debate. Yeah. And then I th and then afterwards, we're going to sort of move on to the questions that sort of how should you say that, that, that dominate this chronology? You know, the, the question, you know, questions like. Um, you know, what are the intellectual foundations of Macron's sort of discourse of no alternative? What are, right. uh, you know, what are the, the, the sort of precursors to this neoliberal French centrism? Yeah. Sort of the Questions origins like of the, the French culture wars yeah. um, and the sort of newly sort of militarized type of republicanism. And of course, the fragmentation of the parliamentary left, which right. Macron benefits from so much. Right. right. And uh, and we're going to try and give this a bit of a, a sort of historical and comparative yeah. sort of touch because, of course, whenever me and Harrison talk about France, we are inevitably talking about France in comparison with Britain and America. Right. Um, and so we hope to sort of bring bring to bear that perspective also on the discussion. Right. So should we get started? Yeah, let's go. All right. Here we go. So I guess what we first want to do is just take you guys through a brief sequence of, I guess, the events or how we sort of view sort of a, the peer, broader periods of Macron's presidency and his time in office. So I guess he came into office in 2017. Um, in I believe, May, June 2017 is when his government arrived into power. And basically we've broken down his presidency just sort of maybe for the uses of um, what we're trying to do today to sort of three broad, I guess, sequences of events. First, there's sort of the assault period, um, which uh, I guess first off when Macron arrives into power, starts on a number of sort of um, textbooks attacks on labor protections, on um, sort of what the French call equis sociaux, sort of social um, social rights, um, number of elements of the French welfare state. Um, for example, um, um, you see right off the bat um, sort of an accelerated privatization of the SNCF, which is the National Railroad Network, um, 
which led into a, a sort of a long and significant strike of, of railroad workers who were opposed to um, one of the key elements of this reform uh, would strip them of essentially um, a, spe a specific sort of worker status um, that applies to sorry, many, many sort of seg sectors and industries um, in France uh, come with specific labor contracts tied to those businesses or those industries. So the SNCF reform, the rail reform, in preparation for the privatization of the rail network, also entailed doing away with special protections for cheminots or railroad workers. And also, you know, he attacked, so a big part of the sort of French post-war settlement was this idea that anyone who gets, who passes their national exam at 18 can go to university. Right, right, right. And he also, so he also attacked the, uh, he, tried, he imposed, he has successfully imposed a selection process now for going to university. Also, by the by, it's also now, uh, I don't know, something like 10 times more expensive as a foreign student to go to university right. in France, uh, whereas before it was right. basically exactly the same. Both of these things obviously caused uh, responses and resistances. Right. Um, and so although they don't fall into the quote-unquote revolt phase right there were resistances to him it's just that they were beaten back with relative ease sure, you know, sure. Th this is the period of macron's <clears throat> triumphalism it, he's at the height of his power he's got yeah, a, yeah. he's got a majority in right. parliament yeah. his 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 presidency with his he won his presidency with a massive mandate right right i mean this is the honeymoon period yeah of, this of is the honeymoon period. um i guess other sort of key um sort of road marks in this Sort of opening phase, um, he does he he does away with um, sort of an old tax on wealth um, and and sort of large fortunes, and essentially replaces it with a smaller tax on real estate and and property. Um, so that I guess is obviously a, a gift to. Well, he's putting um, middle class interests in the same boat with billionaire interests. Yeah, in yeah essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. whereas the wealth tax was for really the super rich. Right. Right. Uh, now the super rich are in the same what tier tax tier mm. as someone who what has like a country home mm. and a mm. home mm. you know mm. has like two homes or something mm. which is clearly inappropriate and there was something also to the symbolism of this period i mean it's 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 maybe sort of a more minor headline but um for maybe some of our listeners who are sort of follow, follow french politics more closely they will have maybe heard of this thing called the zed which is essentially this occupied um uh, it means zone à défendre, yeah, sort of. zone to defend. Exactly, yeah. Um, usually in defense, you know, defending from the construction of something. Right. So, you know, the land or it's, the peasants that live there or the natural reserve that's there right, or whatever, right, right. you know. So there's this bit of land, a bit of forest um, and agricultural land in western France near Nantes, um, which for several for several decades has, has been um, sort of a, allotted to... Um, to essentially make way for an airport expansion project, but it's been occupied for a number of years and by you know combinations of you know anarchist city dwellers and peasants and you know there's a there's a veritable social ecology in the Zad that's yeah. probably I'm sure very interesting. Yeah. And then in April 2018, Macron essentially stages an assault of the Zad. Um, the images are quite shocking. You should 
should, should check it out. Um, you see sort of these riot police in... Like tortoise formation, yeah, Roman sort of legion formation. Fan, entering having, into melee combat with a bunch of hippies. Which is um, like straight up having pitched <laughs> battles with a bunch of hippies. With like, <laughs> with like, with, with like sort of long sticks turned yeah. into pikes and like makeshift shield. I mean, like we're laughing, but it was incredibly violent. And yeah. someone got their hand blown off, I believe. Mm. Um, there was, I guess, it's a sort of, what we're trying to describe is this opening, I guess, assault um, in Macron's sort of first years of office. And one sort of, the way he referred to his presidency in this period, he, he said, I aspire to have sort of what he said, a Jupiterian presidency, I think, which sort of gives off and what really I mean, touches on. The, the sort of empirical points which probably, uh, how do you say, give the most give the most meat to this Jupiterian thing is, is the fact that all everything that we have just described that Macron did in this first phase, yeah. he did through some, the majority of it, he did through some kind of ex- executive order. Right. So there's a few kinds of executive order in uh, the French system, and we're not going to get into that. Uh, but two of them are shows of force, and one of them means that actually you're weak and you have to resort to this right, form right, of executive right. order. The two, the, the two that he used were just pure shows of force. Right, right. It was really a a sort of... There's a new sheriff in town. Yeah, so. there's a new sheriff in town, and his message is either you get with the program or fuck you, there's nothing you can do anyway. Yeah, kind of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Um, And I think that this this sort of leads us very neatly into this question that, that we've come to, that we're going to sort of discuss in a bit more depth after we finish this chronology, right. um, which is this whole, this question of... of how has macro like what is this specificity or what is the you know how is macron constructing this discourse of there is no alternative Mm. to you know what in you know for him international competition the demands of international Mm. competition Mm. and global Mm. capitalism Mm. and trade Mm. and so on Mm. but you know what how is he constructing this Mm. sort of how should we say this this his pitch to the French, essentially, mm, you know, which mm, is that there's no alternative. Mm, you either get behind me or you fall into the dustbin of history kind mm, of thing. Mm, mm, you know, that's very much his, like, you mm, know, I'm taking France into the 21st century. Mm, you know, it needs someone like me to mm, sort of, like, grab it by the scruff of the neck mm, and mm, push it forward or mm, whatever. Mm, um, mm. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I think that that's, that's, that's the sort of take from this from this opening period yeah and um and we'll get we're going to get on to we're going to move on to the chronology and then we'll get on to this question again uh because it's very interesting yeah but it turns out that that i mean the 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 macron's opening sort of confidence or his 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 faith that he really had sort of complete hegemony over french political life was some of an illusion i mean there was this idea in the first two years that it seemed like the all those sort of social movements that did oppose these measures, the, the, the SNCF reform, um, reforms to the higher education system. Sure, there were, there were revolts and there were attempts to block Macron's agenda. Mm. Um, but I think that, it, especially during this phase, Macron had factored all of that into his strategy. Yeah. He'd, he'd been like, okay, I'm going to do the SNCF thing and... Um, 
and uh, university selection in my first year, yeah, yeah, yeah. there'll probably be occupations, there'll probably be a strike. Right, right. And he was ready for it, and yeah. he, he didn't give a shit, yeah. you know? It didn't it didn't bother him. He yeah. probably enjoyed... If anything, he wanted... He enjoyed... Sort of exactly. Theatrics. Of... But also, he wanted someone to resist so that he could crush them. Right. You know? Right. Um, right. And then again, I mean, you know, I think... You know, I think this brings us sort of to the next phase, which is the phase of, of revolt, the sort right. of peak of the revolt, right, right, right. which in which I think is interesting because I think it's that it's in this period that Macron actually really learns what it means to be president of the mm. French. You know, uh, he, he may have at a certain point thought that he bit off a bit more than he can chew, you know, because what happens sort of beginning November 2018 mm. um, is we have the yellow vest, the gilets jaunes right. movement, which emerges and which takes absolutely everyone by surprise. Right, right, right. And you know, particularly in terms of the, the how it was triggered, which was by this sort of relatively innocuous fuel tax, right, right. Um, which, as it happened, really affected these people who lived in peripheral parts of the country who right. had no good public infrastructure, and right. so an enormous amount of their sort of household spending was on fuel. Right, right. And so it to them it appeared like a completely regressive fuel tax. Mm, mm, um, mm. And it caused this enormous movement, mm, you know, mm, that, mm. you know, that we're still sort of, we still don't really know what the effects of this movement mm, are going mm, to be, mm, or have mm, been, or whatever. Mm, mm. And so, you know, just to sort of go through this, sure, this, sure. this chronology. Well, uh, basically, the, the gas tax that Nick is talking about, um, this is something that Edouard Philippe, who was Macron's first prime minister, announced in, I think it was September 2018. And sort of the, I think the logic also is, is something you sort of, which also sort of allows us to kind of peer into Macron's view on governing, which is, so this is a gas tax meant to essentially accompany the evolution in consumer habits. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of how France, you know, Macron, I guess, obviously one of his first famous like ditties was, I want to make our planet great again. I guess yeah. you have, you have right-wing populists and nationalists and there's this new sort of progressive modernizer in France. And this was his sort of first major gesture towards something that looked like an environmental policy. Um, and it ended up blowing up and developing into the first crisis of the yeah. presidency. And so just to sort of maybe go into the minutiae of this particular phase, you know, yeah. there is December, uh, November 18th, I believe, is when it starts. And they yeah. sort of start blocking toll booths and uh, occupying roundabouts. Yeah. And then on the 1st of December, the first big city demonstrations where the Gilets Jaunes would come into the cities right, right. and demonstrate yeah. happens. And that goes, it's completely out of control. Right. I've never seen anything like it. Police completely routed by crowds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, all the famous images of the Gilets Jaunes taking the Arc de Triomphe right, right. and sort of tagging it and all this yeah. stuff. That's from the 1st of December. Right. And then on the 8th of December, so... Uh, I guess in the week intervening the 1st of December, there, there really was the sentiment that things that, that the government could topple, at least there'd be new legislative elections, some sort of, there was going to be a crisis, you know, we really felt, it felt like that, you know. There, there was, was one great report that said something like um, 500 Republican Guard soldiers were at the presidential palace in Paris in one of those December, yeah, pres early December yeah, yeah, Saturdays. Yeah, protecting um, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they genuinely feared that the presidential palace would be stormed by like, <laughs> these crowds, you know, which is pretty cool. Um, but I guess the, the, the main question, I think, actually, for the, at least the gilets jaunes part of this phase is, you know, why did they break left? Right. right. You know, because, of course, when they emerged... 
Firstly, the left didn't really know what to think about him. I remember speaking to a friend of mine, a French guy, and being like, oh my God, like, what do you think of this thing, this mm. movement that's emerged, mm. da, da, da. And he was like, oh yeah, it's just this right wing thing, right, blah, blah, right. blah, blah, like, you know. And, People were saying, is this sort of the French equivalent of the Tea Party? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, I'd say, and also, of course, there were right-wingers, extreme right-wingers sure, in the Gilets yeah. and that identified with it. I mean, uh, you know, they're, 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 it's so absolutely protest, undeniable yeah. and you yeah. saw it at protests. Yeah. But then what happens on the 8th of December is that when it, the movement still sort of teetering, it's still very unclear where it, you know, which direction it's going in politically. Um, and, you know, there's there's still the idea that the, the, the FN or now the RN, uh, the National Rally, uh, it's Marine Le Pen's the, the the less innocuous name for the National Front, which right. is Marine Le Pen's party. There was still the possibility that they might be able to sort of co-opt it, you know, um, politically. But on December the eighth, um, there was obviously another big protest. It's a Saturday, um, and loads of anti-racist organisations joined in. Right. Uh, in particular, the Comité Adama. Um, who people may have heard of, they were sort of at the forefront of the sort of Black Lives Matter protests in France uh, last summer. And so that sort of blocked the the FN and the racist organisations mm. uh, because they couldn't, you know, be seen, you right. know, to be, you know, demonstrating with these right. people. But I think on top of that, what's also really important for people to recognise is that, you know, the reason that the Gilets Jaunes broke left is not just because of some sort of metaphysical fucking phenomenology of the spirit. Right. It's because it's because France has a very healthy, very extensive mm. left-wing activist infrastructure, mm. Mm. you know, not just in cities, mm. you know, mm. all over the country, and that is on the ground. Mm. And so the reason that it broke left is because all these people invested themselves in the Gilets Jaunes, mm. and they gave their all to the Gilets Jaunes, and, you know, as a result of integrating into the Gilets Jaunes, mm. you know, the Gilets Jaunes... Be- became more left-wing, you know. Yeah, and yeah. It's not to say that they were co-opted by these sort right, of left-wing right, interests. Right, 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 it's just, right, right. you know, the whole thing is that anyone can be a gilet jaune, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyone can be a yellow vest. And as it happened, all the people who were, the most of the people who were willing to be yellow vests, or at least a big portion of the people who were willing to be yellow vests, were already on the ground left-wing activists, right, right. you know? Well, I mean, it reminds me, I went to sort of one of the first, sort of, it was called the Assembly of Assemblies of Yellow Vests, and it was basically this kind of convention of local Yellow Vest groups, and maybe this was mid-late January 2019, so then a few weeks after sort of the peak in December. And you, if you saw the, you clearly saw the effects of the sort of investment by a lot of mm. left-wing activists, um, sort of experienced... Mm. Um, political figures to really sort of make sure that this was actually did actually break left. Um, you saw maybe I would say half of the people that were there. So there must have been something like three hundred people from throughout France, and about half of them were people who had never been involved in politics. So that was yeah. wonderful to see. Yeah. And the other half were yeah people who had been Seasoned a lot of activists. Yeah, um, yeah. a lot of social movements over the decades. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you know to France's credit, that is what took place. Yeah, basically, yeah. in my yeah. view. Um, and of course, you know, we can see the extent of the sort of crisis it caused by how much Macron tried to give to the movement or at least tried to be seen to give to the movement. But bear mm. in mind that, you know, the most any movement has gotten out of Macron is what the Gilets Jaunes got out of Macron. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, for example, you know, there's this often cited 17 billion figure 
of uh, for raising the minimum wage by 100 euros a month. Mm. Now, obviously, as it happens, that money was actually taken out of something that was already allocated for right. a different sort of public service yeah, or whatever. Yeah, 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 so, like, it, Macron is just being a sort of smart-ass accountant, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, with this yeah, money. Yeah, he's yeah. not... He's not spending any more money. He's just taking money out of another public service to give to the gilets jaunes to yeah, pacify yeah. them. On top um, of that, he did repeal the gas tax. He did December, repeal, yeah, yeah, he repealed um, the gas tax. Announced essentially this sort of pure communications ploy, this what was called the Grand, grand Débat, the, the Great, great debate. National Debate. Um, and actually, was sort of what's currently in the headlines is a new climate and resilience law, um, which essentially totally bastardizes all the propositions of Selene that he also created after the Gilets Jaunes crisis, which is called the Citizens Convention of the Climate, mm. which essentially was this group of 150 random French people chosen to draft some policies, draft policies about sort of how to essentially reduce France's emissions in, I guess as it says, in the spirit of social justice, mm -hmm. which again shows, I think, at least the political or ideological breached at the yellow vest may which was the idea that a serious um and thorough environmental policy is essentially idea. requires also measures of social redistribution yeah. um i think in this you have the sort of empirical manifestation of macron's recognition or the fact that he's been forced to recognize that actually mm, he hit a bit of a brick wall with that strategy yeah. and he can't go down that route anymore yeah, 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 yeah. or at least he needs to avoid looking like he's doing that yeah, because yeah. the biggest threat to his presidency it caused the biggest threat to his presidency right, course, to emerge yeah. and no one ever yeah, expected yeah, 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 it yeah, yeah. and i guess just to end this gilet jaune sort of uh, bit you know i guess you know, now Saturday demonstrations, which were the Gilets Jaunes demonstrations, are just a fixture of the political kind of agenda of every yeah. every week or month or whatever. Yeah. You know, every Saturday there will be Gilets Jaunes uh, demos, and they're still going on today. You know, smaller than they once were, but to sort of come to the end of this revolt phase yeah. in 2019 in autumn, uh, there is a massive strike against Macron's. Uh, bill to, to reform pensions. Hmm. And that sort of opens up a more general anti-Macron front in the space that the Gilets Jaunes had sort of broken through. Hmm. You know, so people probably would have heard of the transport strike that took place um, for about six or seven weeks, shut down Paris, large parts of the country. There were also an enormous amount of other sectors on strike. You know, I mean, everything from teachers, students, barristers, opera house staff, Ballet dancers, dockers, oil refinery workers, mm. Air France flight crews, you know, public service radio. I was on strike mm. uh, as a lecturer. Um, and, I mean, even the bosses' union, Le Syndicat du Patronat, right. was on strike and was against it. Yeah. You know, the, the, the um, public opinion polls were consistently against it. Mm. Mm. And, um, and, uh, and I guess Macron tried to force it through and everything was interrupted by covid right so not only the strike but also him forcing through the bill and bear in mind that it's actually also during this this period of the the, the final period of the revolt phase where even in parliament mm. you have a unified opposition against this bill you have right-wingers and communists mm. on the same side opposing this bill mm. you know so it, there really was a sort of the beginning of a generalization of a front against mm. macron mm. um which 
was all just sort of, yeah interrupted yeah, yeah. by by covid right. and lockdown um and i guess you know the, the the thing that needs to be taken i think from this revolt sequence in particular is that although there are reconfigurations going on on the left it's still incredibly fragmented and not and in particular, in between the movement aspect, the sort of extra parliamentary aspect and the parliamentary aspect mm, mm. of the left. You know, the parliamentary mm. left are weak and mm. basically, you know, just lame, can't mm. do anything. Mm. Mm. And the extra parliamentary left are, are probably gaining in power, but they have no federating force that's helping them to sort of coalesce, mm. or sort of like use the energy that they are bringing in you know onto the political scene in the political institutions mm. and stuff there's this sort of disjuncture there which which is a recurring theme mm. really in mm. french politics mm. i think that's what needs to be taken from mm. this revolt mm. phase which i think sort of brings us to our last sort of the last phase or element of macron's time in office so far which is basically how does he reimpose himself, resituate himself in a political sort of field that's been yeah. you know, how, upset how is, by How is he taking back the initiative? Yeah, exactly. How because, does he take back the initiative? you know, COVID lockdown gave Macron, in terms of uh, um, sort of his combat with movements in society, yeah. you know, quite a lot of room to breathe. Right. Even though I'm sure he was probably freaking out, pretty yeah. stressed yeah. during lockdown because of COVID. Like, it did... I think at the time he was almost definitely thinking, oh, silver lining, I don't have to deal with those yeah, awful yeah. strikes. Because now we're all together in yeah, war. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I guess, you know, just to sort of get onto the sort of empirical examples of what has actually taken place yeah. in this reaction phase, you know, obviously there was a really horrific terrorist attack uh, last, what was it, October? Yeah, it was an October, um, yeah. where a, a teacher, series of attacks, series of attacks, yeah. but the, the the sort of shocking one, the yeah. most shocking one was right. uh, the teacher got decapitated. Now, actually, before then, Macron had already proposed this law on separatism inverted commas, so basically right. aiming at Muslims, yeah. and so, you know, sort of so sort of the standard. I mean. Pretty much the standard French politics playbook. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Secularism and republicanism and right. universalism against Islam. Nationalism. For some reason. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, one, I'm reminded back in December 2018 and in his speech that Macron gave, sort of at the peak of the Yellow Vest crisis, he essentially claimed that one of the deep reasons of the Yellow Vest revolt were deep anxieties about French national yeah. identity. Well, yeah, um, I guess that basically, I mean, we, what we have in this reaction phase, which we're going through now, is an attempt to sort of d displace, d shift conflict from a political or socioeconomic terrain onto a cultural one, inverted commas. Right, right, right. You know, this separatism law is one, an electoral manoeuvre mm. to try and signal right, because mm. his victory in 2022 passes through the right wing, mm. or the centre right mm. electorate, mm. Uh, and a way to sort of marginalise the left. Mm. You know, because, and we'll get onto this, but there's this whole discourse of Islamo-leftism, which is sort of, you know, is essentially the claim that left-wing radicalism justifies and legitimizes and implicitly supports and is complicit with terrorism, right? Right. Islamic terrorism, yeah. in particular. So you've had, the, I guess, the the Frederic Widal, who's the minister minister of higher education, commission essentially report from. 
um, what's mean, called the CNRS, sort of a, a research institute calling for sort of an investigation of the influence of Islam or leftist ideas. I mean, there's, the there's, there's hysteria. There's this sort of wave of hysteria that's been triggered by Macron and his government right. on this question of Islamo leftism and certainly the way that that's tied into the separatism law. And also there's this other law, which is essentially a type of policing bill. It's called a uh, uh, law for global security. And the big controversial thing about this law was that Article 24 made it illegal to take and share photos of police, mm. made it punishable by one year in prison or 45,000 euros fine. Mm. Now, you know, I mean, like the idea that he was trying to put through this law after the George Floyd protests in America sort of seems kind of mad, mm. really. Mm. And actually, it wasn't allowed. You know, there were massive protests against it. Mm. There were, you know... The, the lots of sort of I don't know kind of liberal social sort of kind of I should say traditional socialist or liberal in a sort of old Republican mm. kind of progressive sense you know la Ligue des droits de l'homme and even the sort of Conseil uh, the the Constitutional Council mm. basically said you can't do this this is unconstitutional because you're you're allowing police to impute intention without proof mm. because the the the, the the uh, the article itself said that uh, it punishes the sharing, the taking and sharing of images of police with the intention to harm physically or mentally. And so obviously there's no way to prove that someone mm. want, wishes to do that. Mm. But it does mean that any policeman at any point, mm. anywhere in France, can confiscate your phone if they feel like mm. it. Mm. Now obviously that's just, mm. you know, that was the intention. Mm. That was mm. That was what they wanted to do. And then, um, and, and I suppose, I suppose, oh, and also in the same sort of, sort of melee or lot of reactionary laws, uh, Macron, again, by executive order, has uh, allowed the creation of a national registry of political opinions and ideologies, which is kept by the police and also uh, created by the police. Mm -hmm. So if a policeman doesn't like you, he can just get on his iPad and write in, you know, Harrison Stettler, uh, ideology, anarcho-terrorist or whatever. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. And I mean, what's interesting is that these are all practices that the police sort of essentially already do, sure. but they just want to be able to do it legally yeah, now. Yeah. I mean, in the quite Orwellian terms, I saw that the I guess the, the law was just adapted, adopted by the National Assembly, I think, this week. Yeah, um, so week. the final the final form of the law. And I guess they, they added the, the, the in the subtitle, um, so yeah, it's, Law and global security and defending individual liberties. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like every every other sentence. There's right. there's a phrase saying to preserve liberties. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in the separatism law, for example, you see um, you see uh, measures that essentially strengthen the power of the interior minister to close associations. Um, well, yeah. So I guess this NGOs, is this um, is the ne the ne right. the sort of next level, which is that. The point of the separatism law is to give the government more powers yeah. to dissolve associations. Yeah, yeah. Now, and, and the security, uh, the global security, obviously Article 24 wasn't adopted. It was reformulated. So now uh, you cannot, now the, the three years in prison and 75,000 euros fine. So it's mm. higher now mm. for, mm. Um, for uh, intending to identify an officer to harm their mm. their physical blah 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 mm. integrity or, mm. or mental integrity. Mm. So there has to be proof that you're seeking to mm. get them identified to hurt them. Mm. You know, mm. um, 
I mean, it still means that the, a police on the ground can be like, give me your phone, you're intended right. to harm me. Right. But right. it's actually quite a bit harder. And uh, basically, this is, I guess, maybe we're going to touch on a lot of these themes and the, the, these, um, these, these questions throughout the show. But um, this is basically the same Emmanuel Macron who, four years ago, upon entering office, was hailed by the New York Times, by The Economist, Progressive by the BBC, by The Guardian, gold. as essentially the savior of liberal democracy. Yeah, yeah, Europe. yeah. Um, and of liberalism to cool. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, like, I mean, the, the thing that needs to be taken back, taken from this particular reactionary sequence, is that um, you know Macron knows what's coming. He wants to win in the next election, and he knows what's coming. Mm. What's coming are lots of movements mm. against him, mm. and he's trying to give himself the juridical sort of armory. To repress the fuck out of those movements as mm. much as he can and as effectively mm. as he can, mm. you know, because the uh, uh, dissolving associations, you know, I think in the separatism law, there's articles saying, you know, if an individual who belongs to an association commits a criminal act, the association can be held responsible and dissolved, right, right. you know, which is obviously absurd. Right. And it's also just a very easy way to dissolve, how do you say, to, to dismantle this crucial left-wing activist infrastructure that we've already spoken about in France, which mm. is such a big part mm. of the political mm. landscape, mm. you know. And the security law, obviously, is just to make it easier for police to, you know, mm. repress the fuck out of anyone mm. who they might may so consider a, a threat, mm. really. Mm. And, you know, essentially what's going on here is Macron trying to shift conflict onto this, inverted commas, cultural terrains, you know, with this whole question of republicanism versus Islamo-leftism, mm. sort of police order versus disorder, mm. um, you know, sort of, how should we say, couching his attempts, his sort of desire to have more control over the civic aspects of French life, like associations, in this fight against terrorism kind mm. of discourse, this defending the republic discourse which the history of which we're going to get onto right. uh, shortly so yeah basically the culture war has come to france you know yep okay so now that we got the i guess the chronology um parts out of the way now we sort of want to step back a bit and think about broader historical perspectives or the origins of a lot of these discourses that Macron is tapping into. Um, and for that, I guess we're thinking of maybe, I want to sort of answer four questions, um, four broader questions. Um, first off, what is the, I guess, the origins of Macron's sort of, there is no alternative to liberal democracy discourse sort of in the, a lot of the anti-intellectual or anti-totalitarian um, currents in 1970s French liberalism, um, sort of stepping back from that also to just sort of the kind of the political history of sort of the neoliberal center in France, um, how sort of the history of sort of the divided left and sort of division and unity on the French left, and sort of last but not least, um, sort of the origins of this culture war. Um, Republicanism discourse. Yeah. discourse. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Sweet. Right. So um, I guess, if, you know, the first question we wanted to answer uh, for uh, for you guys and for ourselves is you know what are the intellectual sort of historical intellectual foundations of this whole there is no alternative discourse in France yeah. you know which is at the heart of Macron's sort of like I don't know uh, sort of it's offer to the style, friends, yeah and I think you know you at least have to go back to 
the sort of reaction to 68, to the 68 radicalism, which essentially took the form of a, a sort of a rejection of Marxism on the basis of totalitarianism. It, this all sort of coincides with the publication of Solzhenitsyn's uh, uh, Gulag Archipelago. And also, you know, there is a direct link here because Macron actually, you know, one of the things that people know about Macron is that he worked as a research assistant to Paul Ricoeur, this very famous philosopher right. who is from this right. period and from this generation. And I think that the reason we need to mention this is because it was a pivotal moment in French intellectual life. Up until then, at least in the post-war, Marxism dominated. And then you had this new discourse, which was anti-totalitarian and in majority, although of course there's it's a bit complicated, but the majority block of these anti-totalitarians became sort of Republicans, essentially. They became, this was the first there is no alternative discourse, except for in this case, there is no alternative to liberal democracy for them. Mm. You know, everything else is potential totalitarianism. Mm. Mm. And I guess this is symbolized by François Furet, who is one of the most famous historians in, in French right. sort of intellectual life, who sort of how to revise the historiography of mm. the French Revolution, mm. which up until then had been a, a Marxist historiography, and he provided this new Republican liberal historiography right, of the right. French Revolution, uh, which of course is an issue at the heart of French national identity and so on. Mm. Um, mm. So mm. I think, you know, th th there is this moment at the end of the 70s, this shift, and on top of that, I think, just to sort of bring it home to now, right. you know, a lot of these people... Uh, some of which are were complete charlatans like the new philosophers uh, and some of which are very serious sort of historians or researchers or whatever um, are today you know today occupy senior positions either either as media pundits right. or as intellectual figures in the you academy, know, in the so academy officials in the exactly that, that, that lend legitimacy right to uh, whoever right right you know Macron in this case I mean, for example there was this there was this crazy I mean crazy scene this was in i think march 2019 so again this is as macron was trying to sort of restore order um regain the initiative after the yellow vests and he essentially holds um this i think it was like 10 hour long debate at the elite at the presidential palace in paris yeah. when he invited something like 80 or 90 sort of sociologists intellectuals philosophers anthropologists economists to the presidential palace and it's just just sprawling exchange recorded live on national radio between the president and sort of the intellectual elite about how are we going to resolve the crisis and you see i mean all of the figures that were there in the 70s or were there in the 80s are just still there <laughs> just there um there was this, the first speaker was this guy named pascal bourknel who's sort of one of the the sort of media sort of mediatized sort one of, of the new pundits, philosophers pundits new um, and I remember his what do you mean sort of his just declaration it's just a startling revival sort of reversal of this intellectual current which comes into power on the seventy in the seventies saying or comes sort of arrives and then intellectual scene in the seventies sort of demanding protection of individual rights from repressive totalitarian regimes. And here you have Pascal Bruckner saying and asking Macron, when are you going to send in the army and stop the, and Saturday, stop protests. the Saturday protests? It's, 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 it's getting in the way of our shopping and right, weekends. Right, and right, right. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, I mean, also to bring to the present the sort of 
the land because a lot of the anti-totalitarianism thing was about pro- constructing a language with which to exclude the left right and with which to con- to reconstitute a a center ground not in the sense of centrism but a sort of center block right you right, know right, right, right. the 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 yeah that excluded the far left and you know this is a language this language of totalitarianism it is a language that still exists and is very effective today in French political life, mm. you know, in the Senate and the Parliament, when there's, when the, uh, it recently over the past few weeks, in the debates around the separatism law, right. um, you know, the left-wingers who are voting against it because they think it's repressive mm. are being accused of being totalitarian sympathisers. And of course, totalitarian now, today, obviously refers less to the Soviet Union, which it would have done in the 70s. And now, particularly in France, refers to Islamic sort of terrorism, ISIS kind of. That's what they call it. They call it le totalitarisme islamiste. You know, so, so you know, not only is there a grafting of this old language for excluding the left onto a sort of anti-Islamophobic thematic, but on top of that, it still serves that purpose of excluding the left right, and associating right. them to this supposed totalitarian right, threat, right, right, right. you know? And we have this, that kind of reminds me, we have this idea that Macron did sort of just inevitably arrive, arrive, arrive in a pro, into office, um, but actually if you sort of look back on that 2016-2017 moment as he announces his candidacy, the essentially the, the, the figure that was going to win the presidency, um, that sort of was leading the polls until essentially a campaign finance sort of a, a, a sort of a corruption scandal took him down. This guy named François Furet, who was uh, François, leader, Fillon. François Fillon, pardon, uh, excuse me, um, was sort of was leading the the, the ostensibly center right party. Um, I mean, to give you guys an example, his campaign book was called "Vanquishing Totalitarian Islam." Oh yeah, um, yeah. Fuck me, I forgot about um, that. Oh my god. Just, Sort of these are these are the books, and also he is like the worst imaginable French politician. (laughs) He's socially conservative Catholic, but also economic libertarian, neoliberal, Thatcherite, like sort of self-declared Thatcherite. But I mean, anyway, yeah, what Harrison's getting at is this guy was going to win. Right. Or at least he was the favourite to win, and then massive corruption, embezzlement right. scandal. He was paying right. his wife right. to do fuck right. all, right. Right. and uh, you know gets kicked off. I mean, he still gets like 17, 18 or yeah. something percent or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's what let Macron through. And I guess you know this sort of this whole Islamism, totalitarianism. You know, who's the most Republican? The left aren't Republican enough. Right. Thing hysteria going on today, or mm. at least reaching its peak today, mm. is very much part of this. The way that Macron's trying to utilize culture war inverted commas topics right, right, to his advantage, right. and he's here. He fits into a really sort of I mean, a long history in, in French politics over the last thirty years. Of obviously, I guess you have a huge, uh, major sort of immigration wave after World War Two in the sixties, seventies, eighties, and starting in the eighties, these issues are become sort of an essential element in right wing strategy for. Diverting and dividing. Yeah. Um, I mean, life. just put it this way. I mean, I guess firstly we probably need to a, a bit of general uh, sort of explanation of the sort of parameters of this whole Republican discourse yeah, in yeah. France. So in France, um, the big issue often, or at least 
that has reappeared since the beginning of the 21st century is this question of laicity, of secularism, yeah, right. of state secularism. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this was a law created at the beginning of the century to stop the Catholic Church from having any influence over, over the state. The 20th century. Uh, the 20th century, sorry. To stop the Catholic Church having any uh, influence over political affairs and state affairs. A quite understandable oh, and it, admirable political But uh, Absolutely. <laughs> and that, that's yeah, why it creates so much sort of has there's so much sort of polysemi, yeah. you know, polysemic yeah. use of this yeah. notion. Yeah. Um, because, you know, essentially the way that it's been used for the past 20 years is to shit on Muslims. Yeah. Um, in particular to, you know, to stop, to make illegal the wearing of the hijab in schools or in public buildings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to make it very hard for Muslim women who wish to wear the hijab yeah. uh, to get jobs, yeah. Yeah. you know, to live normal lives. Yeah. 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 Um, in the new, in the... the and that, just, just, so for the, just for the listeners, that was a 2004 law right. which reapplied the principles of laicity to the question of the hijab and made it illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Explicitly, yeah. in um, in the new separatist law, for example, you have specific provisions that go to outlawing essentially or banning chaperones on school trips. Oh my god! Um, yeah. So there's also this really kind of creepy, creepy dimension to these laws, particularly the separatism one, where it really goes into controlling the minutiae of people's lives. Mm. Like, I was reading an article, there were even, you know, there was like, there was debate in the Senate on whether hijabs could be allowed on buses, mm. on whether like, uh, you know, foreign flags could be flown at marriages. Mm. You know, just this like mad sort of hysterical need to like control all these mm. details mm. of people's lives that just don't matter, mm. you know, mm. like, um, and yeah, that, that, that is a really creepy, intrusive mm. dimension mm. to these laws. Mm. You know, but there, there always has been this intrusive dimension to the whole policing what women mm. put on their head, mm. anti-hijab mm. discourse in France, you know. Mm. Um, but just to sort of give a bit more historical social texture to this yeah. sort of question, you know, uh, in 2005, there were riots, right. uh, mainly in the sort of poor immigrant areas all over the country. And the, the current, the, the prime minister, the president, sorry, yeah, at the yeah. time, you know, referred to them as scum, as sort of, you know, less than, yeah, yeah. you know, not worth right. X, right. you know. And so there's this, you know, discourse been building for quite a while, you know, which I'm sure British or American listeners might recognize similar themes in law and order and and heavily sort of racialized kind of enemy, uh, heavily racialized scum, you know. Which Um, also, I mean, Macron is playing a part in a quite, I guess I wouldn't say illustrious, but a long history of (laughs) people who do, I guess, claim to come from sort of a politically progressive. background that then essentially use this sort of new militarized form of republicanism yeah. to essentially cover their backs yeah. and and explain their rightward shift. I mean, yeah. Manuel Valls was, was the second prime minister in François Hollande's government um, who essentially took up the banner of anti-Islam um, as a socialist prime minister um, in sort of the 2015, 2016 years around. So the Charlie Hebdo attacks, um, the Vatican attacks. Um, well, it does seem that the only way that the French political elite know how to deal with terrorist attacks is by being racist and like sort of developing Islamophobic discourses, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a big reason why... The PS has, has 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 crashed so hard, you know, mm. because 
there is now a big disjuncture in between the left-wing electorate and the PS, and that's why the PS was absolutely routed in 2017. You know, I think we'll get onto maybe the details of that in the next uh, section. But, but I mean, I guess what in terms of the long arc of this Republican discourse, um, I think that one interesting way of looking at it, sort of historically, is that um, sort of at the beginning of the 20th century the pole of attraction for left-wing progressive discourse in France was republicanism, mm. you know. Uh, it, it, it was republicanism. Mm. Uh, and then over the course of the 20th century, it shifts to socialism because mm. France gets really industrialized. Mm. And then sort of the 60s, 70s, it shifts to socialism. And so you see someone like François Mitterrand, mm. who was the big socialist leader of the 80s, who was in power for 10 years or, well, mm. whatever, how long, mm. 14 years. And... Um, sort of he was a, a radical mm. which was the sort of republican the sort of left wing republican party mm. kind of and he was a radical but over the course of the post war period he realised that the, the centre of power of left wing discourse was becoming socialism so he joined the socialist party he became the leader he led them to a victory for mm. 14 years la da whatever mm. and then since then we've seen the centre of gravity of progressive or not even progressive discourse, but claims to progressive discourse, mm. shift back to the Republican mm. poll, mm. but this time as being appropriated essentially by the right and the mm. centre and not as mm. much by the left. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because from day one it was being used as a way to sort of shit on Muslims yeah, and to yeah, make yeah. it a, a problem of sort of national anxiety right, and right, identity. Right, right. Um, I think something that puts sort of Macron's hardening on a lot of these discourses in, in perspective, there was this... Um, report that was published by, um, I guess, a think tank attached to sort of this sort of modernizing kind of third way current in the, the center, in the Socialist, Socialist Party, um, called the Terra Nova Foundation. And they, they released this report that was very influential and was surely read by a lot of people in Macron circles. Um, and as he was sort of rising the ranks of the Socialist Party in the early 2010s, and this report um, essentially argued for a political project similar to the one that Macron is now, or led, has tried to lead since 2017, which would essentially be the sort of centrist block, um, um, or argued for the existence of this dominant yet unrepresented centrist block in French society that was neither in favor of a lot of these really right-wing cultural discourses, but was also opposed to... Sort left of the wingery, the old you know? yeah, left wing baggage yeah. of the Socialist Party and yeah. the left. In well, it's, it's uh, sort of it's the claim that the majority, the silent majority of the French, actually want to adapt to international competition and want the there is no alternative. Yeah. They believe there is no alternative, yeah. and you know it's this sort of it gives someone like Macron the idea that he is appealing to the majority of French yeah, people yeah. who are socially progressive but economically sort of neoliberal yeah, essentially. Yeah. And the flip or side modern that, in Yeah, and the flip side exactly is that is that the this majority of the French population are also for sort of multiculturalism, opposed to a yeah. lot of these well, we just, militarizations of republicanism that the right is trying to force yeah. on. But also on we can debate. see that the last year goes to show that all of that just goes straight out the window uh, when uh, your electoral strategy needs to change based on events. You know, Macron revolts, needs yeah. to win. To win, Macron needs to go through the right-wing electorate yeah. 
And that's what he's fucking. That's what he's doing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's what yeah. he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, despite what this report may have said and how it was useful to him in 2017. Yeah. So Macron really does represent. I guess you could say sort of a fat, the, the Thatcher moment in France. This is it's definitely a bit editorialized, is that by the the sort of entry of neoliberalism into government in France. And I think now we wanted to sort of step back and talk about sort of the political precursors to the formation of this neoliberal center mm -hmm. um, in France, yeah. which has had a long and quite different history to the United States and Britain's political experience. Yeah, it's been a very 30, out of years. step, out yeah. of step with our, yeah. with our Anglophone history. Um, I mean, if you go back to sort of the 1980s when Reagan and Thatcher come into office, I mean, France, I guess the origins of a lot of these sort of economists, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, discussions of sort of French backwardness go back actually to the 1980s when you see this out of stepness. Um, you have, at the moment when Thatcher and Reagan are in power in the United States of Britain, France elects François Mitterrand, who we already mentioned, sort of the, the, the unified socialist party in coalition with the communist government, with, with the communists that arrives in power on a program of not austerity, but doubling down on Keynesianism, yeah. national uh, nationalizations of key industries, uh, raising of the minimum wage. Um, it's sort of, I guess in contemporary terms, it's almost sort of, it's almost Syriza, sort of yeah. the, well, the wave of, of left-wing populism, but on a much broader, broader scale. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I wouldn't describe it as populist. Um, although I don't think you were trying to describe it as populist, but I wouldn't say Syriza's the... The, the example, just because Mitterrand, who is a, you know, is a lauded figure in France, particularly in sort of PS circles. Right. You know, but the guy was, you know, like most PS leaders, he was from another, yeah. another political culture. He was a sort of radical liberal, a left radical liberal kind of, yeah. um, you know, and he was a careerist, right. you know. Uh, he's, his, you know, what Mitterrand understood is, is the dynamics of the Fifth Republic very quickly. So just a little recap for listeners. Fifth Republic is is the republic, the constitution that de Gaulle created in 58, which gives a lot of power to the president, basically. And that's all you need to know for the time being. Yeah. And Mitterrand saw very quickly the importance of the presidential election. Yeah. And so he sort of aimed, and you saw, you know, he did a lot of political work to sort of bring, sort of federate what would be the socialist party right um and all this but you know like you say there is this out of stepness in the 80s you know um where britain and france were going one way uh and were crushing you know they were the right were in power and they were britain crushing the, the workers states. movement no. what did i say britain france britain and france. sorry britain and the united states uh whereas in france you know you have a movement you have a socialist party getting closer with the far left, with the communist, and sort of also putting their lot in with unions, you know, with sort of social movements to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But also what you see in the 80s is, in, in all three cases of Britain, America and France, is a sort of demobilisation on the ground to a certain extent. Like the way, you know, far left activists uh, remember the 80s 
in France is as a period of sort of lull, of demobilization, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same in Britain and America as yeah. well. Except for in France, I suppose the extra thing we should mention is that the way, the first way that neoliberalism rears its ugly head in France is in confrontation with Mitterrand. Mm. So it's, it's in 83, right, where right, the IMF impose all these conditions for a loan uh, to Mitterrand's government. And, uh, and you know, Mitterrand folds. Yeah. Mitterrand folds. Right, right. And um, even if he stays in the power until 1995, sort of 14 years of government by the Socialist Party, elected again on a quite radical platform in 1981, um, nonetheless, sort of the, the, the radical hopes of the early Socialist Party start sort of fading away by the early 80s, um, even if the coalition mm. is in power. Yeah. Well, um, there's plenty of, you know, resignations because yeah, of yeah. the capitulation with, yeah, the, yeah. With, with sort of international capital yeah. and all this stuff. But, you know, they stay in power for 14 years, you yeah. know, and I guess presidential terms were seven years at the time. Right, right, right. So we only won two presidential terms. Right. But, you know, that was the longest period where a left-wing party, where a sort of socialist president has held power right it's just right. you know it's unprecedented what right, Mitterrand right, actually did right, right. Um, now obviously th this period also coincides with the decline of, of, of the PCF the French Communist Party yeah. and in general of the far left mm. but sort of I suppose what's more interesting is, is sort of what happens what happens to the parliamentary left after Mitterrand mm. you know because they remain very powerful, the, the Parti Socialiste, at least, mm, mm. in the 90s and, and the noughties, even if they win those, mm, even if they mm. lose those elections. Because obviously, in, I mean, the French political system is a bit more complicated than the British one. So even though the right won the presidential elections throughout this period, mm. all of them, 1995, 2002, 2007, right. uh, you know, the left have quite a lot of power in Parliament. Right. There's and even during Chirac's first presidency, 95 to 2002... He has to deal with a socialist parliamentary he has to He has to deal with a cohabitation with a socialist prime minister. Right. Uh, so the government that he presides over is actually a socialist government, right, even right. though he's a right-wing Gaullist. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, in 2002, the socialists, there's a sort of shock defeat... Mm. Uh, where the socialists don't even get to the second round mm. because the left-wing parties just proliferate their presidential mm. nominations, mm. Uh, their presidential mm. candidates, and he loses to the FN by, like, literally, like, you know, 0.3 mm. percentage mm. point, and Le Pen goes to the second round. Mm. I think what's interesting, if we're talking about this sort of like 1990s, 2000 period, this is also, to bring it back to Macron, this is kind of the period of his coming of age politically. Mm. Um, this is when he is mm. in university. This is when he's going to grad school. I guess he follows the quite sort of traditional um, trajectory of an ambitious French sort of politician, member of the young member of the political class. Um, and he comes of age at a moment when France's political system is, like in the United States and in Britain, shifting to the right, but at a slower pace. Mm. I mean, at... Mm. You have just sure you have sure the return to power of the the right in 1995 under Jacques Chirac, but it's not it's not the same right that you have in the United States and mm. Britain. I guess the French oh. lo, the French refer often to what they call the social right, yeah, and droit social, which yeah. is essentially like one nation conservatism. Yeah, sort of it's a, the equivalent of that in France. Sort of yeah, I guess lip service at least to. Uh, Welfare state provision, yeah. Paternalistic welfare state, the welfare provision. state. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But for a lot of, sort of the young political figures emerging, the pace, it's not fast enough. The pace of economic reforms, of essentially well, it's like you the modernization saying. of the French economy is not fast enough. And this is definitely sort of the, the, the moment when Macron is yeah. emerging. A lot of these ideas are circling at French governing institutions, um, in the political parties, and specifically among the younger brass. Yeah. And also, also, you, you, you know, you're constantly making this point, which is that the 80s, this whole France out of step with the Anglophone world is very much at the origin of the contemporary anxieties of the French elite, right, right. which which Macron is doing as much as he can to right, sort right. of to, to, to pacify, yeah. you know, and to turn things around in yeah, yeah, commas, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, there's this. You know, the out of step of France with the rest of the Anglophone world. And then on top of that, Chirac doesn't even want to go neoliberal. Yeah. He wants to be social right. Yeah. And then you have Sarkozy, who's a sort of unashamed president of the rich. Right. But he's so vulgar that even the right, centre-right, find him kind of distasteful. Right, 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 um, right. And then Macron comes along, more cultivated, more refined president of the rich. Um, you know, young, gets to claim to be progressive, which Sarkozy never could. Mm. Um, and, you know, he's the perfect candidate for the, mm. to sort of turn around this anxiety of the French elite, mm. you know. Mm. I mean, very much in his rhetoric, it's, it's, I am going to be the figure who does, finally does what no the one political class yeah. hasn't had the courage to do over the last yeah. 30 years. And yeah. I guess also what's worth mentioning during this period Sort of beginning beginning of the 21st century up until now is the sort of reconfiguration of the far left block, mm. parliamentary far left block, which, you know, with the decline of the PCF, you sort of, at the beginning of the 2000s, you see splits from the Socialist Party, mm. in particular by a man called Jean-Luc Mélenchon, which people have probably heard of, um, who creates a sort of series of new left-wing configurations, Nouvelle Donne, uh, Parti de Gauche, the left party, which mm. is called the, the front of the left, I think, in the yeah. 2012 elections, left front, yeah. which, which Hollande wins, uh, the PS wins, mm. um, and then which eventually takes the form of La France Insoumise, which in 2017 gets almost 20% of the vote, which is, I mean, if we're looking at the history of the far left electoral bloc, it's actually quite impressive. You know, he's gone back to some of the higher percentages of the PCF mm. kind of block in you know at their height mm. in the 70s mm. Um, mm. but of course that's declined since the party itself has being on shaky foundations it's, mm. it has sort of stopped being uh how should you say a pub that much of a publicly visible political organization mm. we can say as far as i mean and, and Mélenchon and sort of this parliamentary far left i mean they are the central target also of all of these culture war discourses oh, today. Absolutely. I mean, Mélenchon is the is prime the... peddler of Islamo-leftism in the French. Yeah, yeah. According class. to according to according Figaro, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a terrorist sympathizer. Right, <laughs> right. But and I guess also what a point I wanted to make that's really important for understanding what we're going through right now in France is there's always been this concept in France of the Republican Front. And this came into sort of being, well, not came into being, but it, it, it was first sort of brought to the centre of French politics as a sort of mechanism, a crucial mechanism for the French political system for everyone getting on board, everyone unifying against the far right, mm. essentially. That's what it's meant traditionally. Mm. And now what happened in 2002 is that Jean-Marie Le Pen, 
you know, the old Le Pen, not even his slightly detoxified daughter, who's just as bad, really, but looks nicer. Mm. The old monster, Jean-Marie sort Le Pen. Holocaust and I. Yeah. Uh, um, torturer of Algerians in the, independent, right. uh, in the War of Independence. You know, he went to the second round of presidential elections in 2002. And so there's this massive Republican front moment where everyone got behind Chirac and Chirac got like 82% of the vote. Mm. Now, that happened in 2017, again, with Macron against Le Pen. Again, there was a Republican front. Lots of people blackmailed into voting for, for Macron. He got, like, I think it was like 66. 66% yeah. yeah, so, I mean, that's gone down quite significantly right, right. to the Chirac Front Républicain. But what is interesting is now what's happening is the Front, the Republican front, is being constructed not to exclude the right, the extreme right, right. But to exclude the extreme left. Right, right, right. And actually, what's happening is the extreme right are now part of the Republican front as it is constituted today through this reactionary Republican discourse, right. anti-Islamo-leftism discourse, right. Right. which is clearly directed at excluding the right, the, right. the left, and somehow now includes sort of the extreme right and, right. and, and everyone's okay with that. Right, right. You know, there is this, you know, there is this how should you say, a shifting of who is more illegitimate mm. based on who is a bigger threat to the centrist block. Mm. Now, the centrist block, maybe out of myopia or, or complacency, who knows, they think that they will always beat the far right mm. in, a, in, in a second round presidential mm. election, mm. but maybe not the, the far left. Mm. And so they see them as more of an electoral threat. So the Republican front needs to be constructed against the far left, mm. who are, you know, in cahoots with terrorists and so on, mm. you know. Mm. Um, and so there is, this is a genuinely scary development. This is a genuinely scary development. Especially when you see, I mean... Which is the, it means the spectrum of legitimate, acceptable opinion in French society includes the far right and excludes the far left. Mm. That's mm. what it means. Mm. And that's what's being constructed right now. And I think mm. that's actually really a good place to end because that's where we are right, right now in, right. Right. in sort of French politics. Right. I mean, I mean right now, yeah, I guess we're pretty much, yeah, as we said, a year to the next presidential election in 2022. And one of sort of the recurring, I guess, headlines is the ever ephemeral sort of left wing front that oh, yeah. is struggling to form, but it's essentially attempts to bring some sort of presidential campaign unity amongst sort of the Greens, the France Insoumise, and what remains of the Socialist Party. Um, and I mean, you see how the this sort of Republican culture wars is used as a tool to divide and make impossible oh, yeah, any absolutely. sort of unified progressive left-wing campaign yeah, when you have sort of figures on the right wing of the socialist party saying no we would never go into a coalition with the greens or because with, of their with, uh, quote with the unquote, ambiguous relation to the republic whatever the fuck that means exactly you know I mean? no, yeah exactly yeah. Um, yeah no i mean and that's it i mean like there has been talks recently of you know unifying the left bloody darn this is the big how you say this is the big fantasy of the left and always has been, you know, since the Popular Front passing, you know, passing through Mitterrand. This big, it's always been the myth, the sort of idea that if we unified, and it's probably true, if mm. the left unified, they would have a majority. Mm. But the problem is, is that they're ri they're riven with so many divisions, and Macron very shrewdly has nourished those divisions with this question of republicanism. So yeah. you have most of the BS basically. 
in a in a certain sense, masking their personal distaste for Jean-Luc Mélenchon because they hate his guts through the through this rhetoric of republicanism and who's the most republican and Mélenchon isn't republican enough and mm. they hate the French Republic and they hate their country mm. and la di da mm. and all this stuff mm. and so you know yeah there is I mean yeah the, the left are not only already divided but are being further divided by this reactionary republican discourse right, basically right. and meanwhile I mean, I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago, a new poll showed that Marine Le Pen is, or the National Rally Party, Marine Le, Pen's, Marine Le Pen's party, has is sort of the most popular party amongst twenty-five to thirty-four-year-olds. Yeah, thirty-six um, percent. Right, um, and the, and there was another really quite depressing poll that showed her against Mélenchon in the second round winning. Right, right, uh, right. Which, uh, I mean, the ground has been prepared. I mean, and the, and the, the polls in 2017 showed Mélenchon winning against her if they right. had gone into the right. second round. Because it's how much they sort of... So in the intervening five years, what's happened? Mm, well, what's happened is the... Culture wars. Is culture wars, yeah. yeah. And Macron using terrorist attacks to sort of, I don't know, claim an absolute illegitimacy of a certain section of the left, therefore making it impossible for the centre-left and the left to sort of form a unity right a unify a unity candidate exactly. which could block Macron or Le Pen yeah yeah uh, and and that's where we are yeah. in this big stinky pile of shit <laughs> <laughs> all right and so you know what the whole hysteria around like who's more republican and who has an unambiguous relationship to republicanism sort of hysteria going on here sort of reminds me of it, it it struck me quite a lot, actually, how similar it was to the sort of situation when Prince Philip died, which I guess we're still going through. We're still in the eight days of mourning or whatever. But like, <laughs> but like you know, it's like people lining up to like claim that Prince Philip is a feminist icon because he was married to the Queen and didn't insist on being the king or whatever. And like people just lining up to, you know, claim that everyone else isn't patriotic enough because they don't sort of like bend their back with a, a, a sort of satisfying enough curvature in front of the Queen and Prince Philip and, and you know, the grieving royal family and all <laughs> this. Because obviously, like, in Britain, the totem for nas of national identity is the monarchy, right? Yeah. In France, it's the Republic. This sort of specific idea of the Republic. And so that's why you also just have this totally deranged sort of situation where there's just all these politicians just, li just like, climbing over each other to, like sort of like accuse some left winger of not being Republican enough <laughs> and just like sort of like showering themselves in whatever like rep Republican bunting they can find <laughs> that will, you know, and proclaiming themselves as the most Republican. It's just like these two dynamics, I just feel are so oh. sort of similar because of the way that the totems of national identity are, are sort of being used in a it's all being sort of fetishized. Mm, uh, mm. You know. Yeah, it also sort of reminds me of, I guess, first off, the United States and US politics is maybe a bit less, fewer sort of shiny concepts in the French. Um, oh, yeah, but sure. there was this, uh, there was this quite ridiculous and telling moment in, I think it was the 2012 uh, Republican presidential primaries. And there was something like, you know, that year when there were like 15 candidates on the debate mm -hmm. stage. And there was a point when whoever was moderating that debate, they essentially asked all the candidates, um, who here, raise your hand if you can promise to never raise taxes. <laughs> um, so in France, maybe it's republicanism, but in the United States, it's just taxes. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. 
Everyone makes mistakes and we're no different. So we have two endnote sort of corrections to add. We mentioned in 1983, um, the Mitterrand government's sort of tack back to the right after the initial um, sort of program of nationalizations and wealth redistribution. Um, and we said this was the result of an IMF order. This was incorrect. There was no IMF order uh, to the Mitterrand government, just good old fashioned pressure of the capital markets and capital flight. Um, second correction, we also mentioned the Terra Nova Foundation report, which sort of sketched out in the early 2010s um, the strategy behind or which would eventually become Macron's political coalition. Um, we said this was released in 2013, which was also wrong. The reports came out in 2011 in essentially the lead up to the 2012 election. Um, so, yeah, just two corrections. And thank you, guys. Bye bye.